Today, we are spending, today and the next couple of weeks, looking at the biblical roles of uh, men and women. What does the scripture say for men and women, how they should uh, be living their lives uh, individually and in relationship with one another? Today, we'll be in the book of Genesis. Next week, we will actually be in the text that uh, was read to you from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, God's roles for men and, and uh, husbands and wives. And th- uh, three weeks from now, we'll be in 1 Timothy and look at uh, biblical roles for men and women in the church. And then following that, we will be going to the book of Nehemiah. And so you can go ahead and be reading ahead in that time. As you turn to Genesis, we will be in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Specifically, in a moment, I will read to you from chapter 1. You may have already realized this, that we live in a very confused world. Uh, We live in a day today where we have gender issues, gender confusion, gender dysphoria. We have sex changes. There's confusion. There's distortion uh, surrounding uh, all the roles in our society. Uh, You may be familiar as you go into certain places or working at places where people want to know what are your pronouns. Uh, He, him, she, her, they, them, and the list goes on. We live in a country in which our schools teach this, our government promotes it, and the world around it celebrates uh, a uh, confusion of how God has designed and created men and women. We live in a world and a time in which boys and grown men are trying to be girls and women or girls and women who are trying to be boys and men. You see it all the time, every day, every week, and you can attest to the fact that this is something that has grown exponentially very quickly in just a short period of time. Also, this affects specifically marriage. And so we live in a country that uh, says that over half of marriages end in divorce. And if you're divorced and remarried, the percentage goes up to 73% that you'll have a second divorce. If you look in the business world, men and women are constantly fighting for positions of authority. This is our life in this world today. I'm not telling you anything new. You know these things and have experienced them. When I read uh, a newspaper article about Rachel Levine, a a four-star admiral uh, for the U.S. Public Health Services, who is actually born Richard, I see a man who is broken, who has no idea that he was created to image a holy God. Therefore, it's of great importance that you pray with me that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding of how God has created men and women in His image and how He's created us with equal worth and dignity and value. And at the same time, He's created man and woman different with different roles that are complementary. This morning, as we turn to Genesis chapter 1, I will read to you verses 26 through 31. The scriptural truth from the text is this. In His image, God has created men and women, giving them specific and distinct roles to magnify His glory. 
Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to every thing, creep, everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you today to look to your truth and your word on something which is of great importance for life today and great importance for all mankind in all of history. Father, we pray that you would help us to see your glorious plan to create uh, people uh, to image you and to be in a right relationship with you. And Father, we pray that as we know that sin has entered in and destroyed that uh, original plan in that sense of what you had set out, we know that there is redemption in your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, for dying in our place for our sins, and we praise you because you've risen from death to life. Holy Spirit, would you now make the words come alive to us? Would you help us understand and also apply? Would you soften the hearts of any who may be here today who are far from you, and may you do the saving work in their life? May you be glorified in the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would look with me here at chapter 1, we will also in a moment go to chapter 2 and chapter 3. Specifically here in the text I just read, the first point what I want us to see is God's, uh, in God's design for men and women is that um, they are created in God's image. The word image there is an important word to hold on to when you are reading this text because we must ask the question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? In verse 26 we read, it says, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, says let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. We also ask the question, why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image that we would know him, to love him, to live with him, and to glorify him. That God created us, it says, in his image, which means a resemblance or a form or a likeness uh, that we are to uh, reflect God's glory, to image him. And so when we read that we are made in God's image, uh, we share God's nature imperfectly, and infinitely, meaning with limits or boundaries, we share God's communicable 
attributes, which would be things like truth, wisdom, love, holiness, justice. But your life, you've been given life by God Almighty uh, so that you would reflect Him, you would mirror God's glory and be an image of Him. Your life and my life is uh, to give all the glory of God in all that we say, all that we do, but we know that we live in a world in which that is marred because of sin. We'll read about the garden and uh, the fall in chapter 3 in just a moment. But God, if you go back and read uh, chapter 1, where the section I didn't read beforehand, when God uh, says, let there be light, and, and He creates each day all of creation... And then he comes and creates Adam, and then he creates Eve, he creates uh, mankind. Um, he does uh, something amazing in which, at the end of this, those days, he said it was very good. God has created mankind to be separate from, in a sense, or above the rest of creation. That is why he gave Adam and Eve to rule over uh, the animals of the earth, uh, to be above the rest of creation. Look with me here again at verse 26 and 27. How did God create man? It says in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him both male and female. God created both men and women in the image of God and both equal in dignity and value. Eve was not any lesser of a creature because she was created after Adam. Men and women both uh, are, are equal as in value and dignity as human beings. Eve imaged God just as well as Adam imaged God, exactly the way that God intended them to. So if you go and you read before the fall, and you read in chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything that God made was very good, it was perfect, and it was meant to be the way that he had set it out. I mean, oh, what a day to be able to go and see that, walking with God in the garden, a marriage relationship that was perfect and glorified God. We know, though, when you get to chapter 3, um, the fall happens, and all of this gets distorted, but... As we were just singing about there's more to come, the day of Christ's return in which he makes all things new and things will be perfect again just as he intended. And what a glorious sight that will be for all of us to behold uh, a new heavens, a new earth, being around the throne of heaven, laying down our crowns before the Lord and worshiping him and singing praises to the Lord God Almighty. I'm thankful that God didn't take something old to just create us. He didn't uh, uh, have an animal and, and, and create mankind out of the animal. He created man and woman in his image. And therefore, when I read this, I read that none of us are a mistake. God created you for his purpose to image him and to give all the glory to him in everything. And so God's plan is perfect, and therefore none of us, even if we feel like it, can say that God had some other plan with me, I'm just different. No, 
God's plan is to create you in His image that you would reflect His glory. That understanding is so essential for you if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your identity is important. I mean, if you think of everything that we see in this world, people chase after things, they make decisions because it's based on their identity, who they think they are, or they don't know who they are, so they strive after these things. When you are seeing uh, uh, boys and men who are, are, are wanting to be women or vice versa with girls and women wanting to be boys, there's an identity problem there. It's not to say that they don't have feelings and feel certain ways. Yeah, feelings are real. But feelings also are not always correct and are very misleading. So it's important to know that all mankind has the same problem because sin has entered in. And just like a mirror that has been smashed on the floor, that is a picture of the identity of everyone who's born into this world. Because through Adam, he sinned, and we know from scriptures that therefore all sinned. We're all born with sin, a broken mirror. Therefore, imaging and reflecting the glory of God is impossible in your life apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us who we are to look to, who we are to mirror. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going to actually be in Colossians this evening looking at Christ who's created the earth. And so we'll be in this evening in this text at 5 o'clock tonight. It says in Colossians 1, 15, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. At the conclusion of the service, we're going to sing a, a song that's out of Romans chapter 11, which basically says the same thing. God created the earth and he created humans and he created all creation, not for you and not for me, but for himself. That's his original intention. That's his original purpose with all this. And sin entered in and distorted it all. And before we look at the fall, we need to look at chapter 2 because chapter 2 goes into more explanation when God creates Adam and he creates Eve, making them, again, equal in value and dignity and worth, both to image God, but he also makes them different with complementary roles. Look at the second point being complementary roles. If you look in chapter 2, it says in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The words in the description is like a person who's picked up some dirt or clay and begins to model it. Just in the last uh, week or two, one of my daughters took some clay that she dug up and she began to form and shape a face and it's like, I wonder what that's going to look like. It kind of a little weird to begin with. 
And as she began to work it, and then, and then there's a face, and it's like, oh, there's hair on it. Look at those eyes and all these details. It's like, it's this picture in the sense of how God intricately makes man and how he makes woman. And so he's very specific. And you think about your body. Think about the uh, skeletal system that, we're, that we have that holds us up, the muscular system that God creates that you can pull a muscle and be in all kinds of pain. God is very specific in that how he's created just your, your digestive system, your circulatory system, to even look at a blood cell, to even think of one blood cell, how creative God is and how specific he is and how all of these systems function together and how one thing in your body can be off and it affects the whole body. God is great and he is glorious and he's powerful and sovereign that all he said is, let it be. He just said it and it happened. I pray that you're astounded by the power and the glory of God who gives you life. I mean, right now, take a deep breath. God allows you to do that. And he's the one who fills your lungs. He's the one who directs all that. Therefore, all the glory should go to God Almighty for what he has created. God is the master and artist craftsman. He shapes Adam here in the garden like a work of art. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And I find, again, great comfort in these, these texts and us giving glory to God for creating us, and yet at the same time, because of sin, we are great at fighting the Lord, who is the great uh, creator and our Father. And we want to craft and, and shape our lives when we need Him to do that so that we would follow after Him Let's look closely here in chapter 2 now, though, of how not only he's, we've already seen that he's created man and woman in his image, again, equal in value and dignity and worth. Now let's see how he's created them differently with different roles, um, specifically in the marriage relationship. In the garden, look here at verse 15. We see that God gives man a work to do. We're going to see three things here. God gives Adam, specifically, a work to do. Verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is why men have projects. And their garages may be filled with projects. And some of the wives in here say, will you please tell my husband to get his projects done and get them out of the house? Again, God puts this in men, a desire to work. But we'll see in a moment here, the fall distorts that. We don't want to work because it's hard work. God puts Adam in the garden and says, work it and keep it. Therefore, all men, all boys, are not to be lazy. Now, women are not to be lazy either. But specifically, sorry, this microphone is causing me problems today. Men are not to be lazy. I was thinking about a young man uh, at the last church I served at, a number of years ago, came to one Sunday, pastor, pray for me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a new job. I said, great. 
Came back the next week. Uh, uh, how's things going? Pastor, pray for me. I'm, 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 I'm looking for a job. Like, how many jobs do you apply for? It's been two weeks. He goes, well, I'm, I'm going to start next week. I was like, well, wait, I've been praying the last two weeks for you. What do you mean? Well, I need another week just to get ready. I'm like, no, you're being lazy. You don't want to work. Second Thessalonians, the apostle Paul writes to the church there in Thessalonica and lays out the importance for men it says this in Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Not such persons we, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. To all the men in the room, we must do what Paul said to Titus, which we studied a year ago. It says the older men must teach the younger men to be self-controlled. We also see that it also gives instructions to the older women to teach the younger women. It has a whole list of things there. But I'm so thankful for my father and both my grandfathers and that all the men in the church that I grew up in because you were not to be lazy. You were to work and that was a good thing to do. I was raised in a family, in a church that you plan to work hard to provide for a future wife and children. And you were to do that. That's just what was taught naturally. But yet we live in a world today where men thinks it, grown men thinks it's okay when they're 30, 40 years old to live at mom's house and to sit uh, in the house all day and to play video games and to be online and to eat and do all kinds of things and just let mom provide. That is a culture in our nation today. So all of us, may we pray for the men in this room and for all the young men and the boys growing up that they would learn that God gave Adam a work to do as a responsibility and that responsibility has not been taken away. was reminded this week about 20 years ago when I was doing youth ministry with junior high and high school students. There was two boys uh, in our junior high group and I called their parents and said, can I pick them up and take them with me? We're going to go mow some lawns for two widows in our church. I said, and they said, great. I said, don't tell them what we're doing. And so I pick up these two eighth grade boys. In the back of my truck is a lawnmower and a weed eater and an edger and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, what's all that? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. And we're driving, like, what are we doing? And we'd go to uh, a card shop because these two boys like to collect uh, baseball cards. So we would go to card shops and get stuff and go to these events. But they did not know we were going to go mow and take care of two lawns. So we pull up to the first house and they're like, what's going on here? I was like, well... Guys, you guys are going to help me. We're going to mow some lawns. They're like, oh. And they're like complaining. No, I didn't sign up for this. And I'm like, get this stuff out. And we get these things out. And they're like, oh. they never mowed a lawn. They never used a weed eater. They never used an edger. They didn't even really know how to pull weeds. And I said, we're going to do all this. And they're like complaining and complaining. And so I turn around and telling them how to be safe. I'm like showing them how to do this. And then I push the lawn mower. And it's like, a light went on. They're like, I want to do it. And they're like fighting over it. I'm like, no, no, okay. You, okay, you can go first. Here, I'm going to teach you to use the weed eater. And I mean, they're, they're, they're just having a heyday. I'm like, this is crazy. They were, they were enjoying that. They're like, oh, we're going to do I said, we're going to another house after this. Like, yes. I'm like, what junior high boys celebrates going to mow lawns? 
You see, they had not been taught that a duty of a man is to work hard. And therefore, they were learning something that God put in them to learn. First Timothy, Paul, Paul writes first to, uh, to Timothy, it says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So God gave Adam a work to do. He gives man a work to do. The second thing is he gave man a will to obey. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam is charged with this. And you'll see God holds him accountable to this. He's charged as the head of this marriage relationship. God gives Adam not only a work to do, but a will to obey. He says, you have all of this. This, I mean, again, think about creation in its original state. And God says, you can have all of this but this one tree. Don't eat of it. He explains why. God commanded Adam to be obedient. And we see in chapter 3, he holds Adam accountable to what he commanded. It says, if you eat of it, you will surely die. Spiritual death and physical death. But really a separation from God. And this is where we, when we read Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God gives Adam a work to do. He gives him a will to obey, to obey. And the third thing is he gives Adam a woman to love. He creates Eve out of a, a rib of Adam and gives her to him. It says in verse 18, if you look with me here, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 21 so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And as you read through this, you see that God gave Adam Eve. God gave man a woman to love. If you were hearing what was read in Ephesians 5 just earlier, and we'll see this next week, as the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Ephesus, he says, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. We'll actually get into that next week because what's key here is what affects the marriage relationship and also, in three weeks, we'll see of how the church functions together. The role of the woman that God creates is that of a helper. And I'll tell you this, our world says that's a demeaning and a degrading term. The woman's supposed to be a helper to the man, and when I read that, I'm like, thank you, Lord, because I need help. I need my wife to help me, not just, hey, does this shirt go with these pants? <laughs> you can ask my wife. I ask for that like every Sunday. I'm like, uh, actually, today I didn't, so maybe I blew that today. But I'll usually ask her, hey, does this go good? Is this what, you know, I'll ask her opinion. What did I, what, when I wrote here, what do you think about this or whatever? But it's more than that when you read of what God has given us to describe marriage and what God has laid out here. To be a helpmate, women, 
According to God, who's not wrong, it's a wonderful, glorious thing. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that women aren't created equal, equal in dignity and in value. Um, that's not at all what Scripture says. And again, at the same time, we could go into a whole huge message of the world which attacks this. I mean, we'll get into the key word that I know that you all want to jump to next week is what does it really mean to submit? Well, read Ephesians 5 and we'll go there next week. But the Lord blesses the man with a helpmate. Not just to have children and populate the earth, but to have this relationship in which a husband and wife mirror and reflect the glory of God in a relationship that is righteous and holy found in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The marriage relationship was established by God. There is no wavering. God has declared that marriage is between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man and a woman and a woman. That is clear from Scripture. If you want to uh, 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 read God's Word and you will see there's no wavering. Now, again, as we saw Romans 6.23 and as we see the fall, sin has entered in. And so all mankind has rebelled and has done their own things in their own ways, in their own eyes. And therefore, that's why you have what I've been describing to you of our culture today. I would say to all of the young men in this room, at some point, leaving your home and planning to be married, be reminded that God has given you a work to do. Be reminded that God has given you a will to obey His Word and to seek after Him. And He's also... Lord willing, providing you a woman to love. I'll say one more thing on this because um, the whole problem with men in this world being lazy is a, a passionate issue for me. And so when I read Proverbs chapter 26, verse 14 through 16, it says, As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. That is the description of the lazy man. Ladies, women who are looking to be married, do not marry the sluggard. Do not marry the lazy man. Oh, but he's so cute. Oh, he's so kind. Don't marry the lazy man. And don't try to fix him. The Lord is the one who does the fixing. If sin had not entered in, the marriages would be laid out as God has said. But what we see if you turn to chapter 3 of Genesis is we see the fall and its consequences. The fall and its consequences. You have Satan who comes to the garden and he begins to spew lies, twisting God's words as he goes to Eve. And it says Adam's right there with her 
and they're there at the tree, and he says, oh, did God really say that? Did God really mean these things? And so as Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies, it is no surprise that this is what he brings in the garden after God has told Adam, here is what I, you can have, here's what you can't have, and you have a will to obey me. When you read in chapter 3, Eve does act separately apart from Adam, but Adam, who is there, weakly stands by and gives up his role as a leader to protect his wife. He should have grabbed the serpent by its head, cut it off, and thrown it out of the garden. But instead, he stood back, and he followed Eve's lead, and this is what we read. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Look at there at verse 6. <clears throat> she saw the tree was good for food, the desires of the flesh. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes, the desires of her eyes. She saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. This is the pride of life. This is nothing new that I need to teach you. Every single person battles with these temptations. But the disobedience, the sin, brings fall to all of mankind and God's creation. So when we think of disobedience, uh, not doing what we should do, the sins of omission is one thing. The other is the sins of commission, doing what we should not do. Uh, sinful thoughts, words, works, and intentions, sin affects all parts of our life. And again, as we uh, have seen before, and I'll read to you here, Romans 5.12 it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We could spend some more time in another day where the Apostle Paul points to Adam sinning. He doesn't point to Eve sinning. Adam's held responsible as you see God coming to Adam and asking him to give account. So therefore, all sin, that we are born with the sin nature, it all comes from Adam, led down to us. This is what Scripture teaches. If you look at chapter 3 here, in verses 8 and 9, God comes to them in the garden, just as He had done before, walking with them in the morning. And there was this great relationship and this conversations that could be made with the Lord God Almighty. And He says, Adam, where are you? Adam. He doesn't say Eve. He's calling out Adam because Adam, he's given a role and a responsibility. God, God knew where they were, so don't misunderstand that God just didn't know they were hiding behind that bush. I know it seems comical, but I've heard people actually say those things before and try to twist some things. God knew exactly where they were, but he calls out Adam, and he comes to them, and, and, and they, they say they're hiding, they're shame, they're, they're naked. And he goes, 
you know, what is going on? And so verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you, Lord, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God says this in verse 11, who told you that you were naked? He says, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? It's almost like the child who goes and sneaks the white powder donuts and has it all over their face. And the parents come, did you eat one of those donuts? Oh, no, 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 I didn't eat any donut. Are you sure? Because there's stuff all over your face. Oh, oh, I got caught. He goes and he asks Adam, Adam, have you eaten? Even though God knows all, he already knows that Eve already ate it. He didn't go, Eve, what's up here? He goes, Adam, did you eat? Look at verse 12. Adam does not confess his sins like he should. He does not take responsibility as God has given him. Verse 12, the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. That woman. And some of you say that. And men, watch your tongues. She did it. And, uh, well, yeah, I did eat it, but she did it. Oh, and God, by the way, you gave her to me. And so he blames the woman he blames God. James chapter 1 tells us that God tempts no one. Verses 13 through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you go back and you're reading in this, when she saw those things, it was desirous to be eaten. In verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, if you read the end of chapter 3, God curses the serpent, he curses Satan, he curses the woman, he curses the man, and those curses have, are upon us today. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this, verse 13, that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The devil made me do it. How many of us use that excuse? And so again, sin distorts the roles and the relationships between men and women. And so to the woman, here's the curse. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Women who have had children, is it painful? Man, watching my wife give birth to five of them. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I need to sit down. I'm not doing anything. The pain. In pain you shall bring forth children. Giving birth to children, which is in God's plan to be a blessing, now is cursed with pain because of sin. And he goes on farther. He says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. This is God proclaiming what would happen even today. 
the battles between men and women in marriage and in this world, God said, back at the garden, this will happen. You're cursed with the fact that you are going to want to desire to lord it over your husband, but I've given your husband a role to lead in the family, and you're going to want that. And the men that are over here leading in these areas, women are going to want that. You know, I don't even have to tell you, this happens every day, day in and day out in all parts of our world. And God said this would happen. He says the desire for your husband will be to dominate your husband. The same word is used in chapter 4 if you look regarding Cain and Abel, verse 7. It's interesting. If you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, you need to go read it. But Cain kills Abel and his brother in verse 7 the Lord, actually in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire, same one back that we were just reading in chapter 3, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So women will desire to rule over their husbands God tells Cain this desire would lead to what he did in murder, and he says, don't let that be. But this is the continuous struggle between men and women, specifically in marriage. Look with me briefly here at verses 17 through 19 of chapter 3. Here's the curse to Adam. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The work that God gave Adam to do that was a blessing to him, that was good, is now no longer easy. Uh, it's sweating. Yesterday I had to dig a 30-foot a trench with a shovel and a pickaxe in the midst of clay and rocks, and I was sweating, and my wrists hurt today, and I hated it just so I could fix some sprinkler lines. But I was so thankful that my son came out later and says, hey, can I help you? And I'm like, well, I'm done for today, but yes, you're going to help bury it back tomorrow. And he's like, well, I'm not very strong. I said, you can do it, buddy. I'll give you a shovel that will fit in your hand, and you can help fill this back in. But how many of you would say work is fun? Anyone? Some of you are like, I love work. Praise the Lord. I pray that everyone, that especially all men and young boys, would love the work that God gives them to do. But know that that work, because the curse will be a challenge, you will sweat from your brow. You will work hard because of the curse. I'm, I'm thankful for God's word, which teaches us about the new heavens and new earth. And when Jesus is speaking in parables about the new heavens and new earth, it's clear from Scripture there will be work in a new heavens and new earth, just as God intended, but the curse will not be there. Therefore, work will be something that God gives that will be enjoyable. And I know that may sound impossible. But according to God's word, this is what we read that God did at the beginning and what he will do at the end. Let's look at one last verse, which we'll close with. Chapter 3, verse 15. 
This is where we see redemption and restoration. The curse upon the serpent. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Church, you should circle that, highlight that, underline that, put a tab there, print it out on something because that's the first preaching of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God curses them because of sin, and he also says there is redemption to come. There is restoration to come for all of my creation. I will do this work, and it's found in his son, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name what? You shall call his name what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their what? sins. God sends the Son to come and not only be God, but also add humanity to His divinity, the God-man, fully God, fully man. And Jesus Christ lived and walked this earth, experiencing every temptation and trouble that you do, and He never sinned. And because He never sinned, He went to the cross and was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice who would therefore take upon your sins and therefore at the cross not only bleed and not only die, but He would take the wrath of God the Father meant for you upon Himself so that you would be set free from the shackles of sin, that you would be set free from the troubles and the distortion of sin, and you would be made new through faith in Jesus Christ. Because not only is Jesus Christ by His blood purchased you for Himself, He died and on the third day rose again. Amen? And he's ascended to heaven and he's returning. He's reigning right now. And he will make all things new one day in which he will restore all of creation. And what we read in chapter 1, that glorious, perfect creation, we will see this in the future. And we will be with Jesus forever. That's for all who have their identity in Christ. Who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. All who have their identity in themselves apart from Christ and have no faith in Christ will not experience the new heavens and earth. They will not be with Christ around the throne. They will not see these things that God created as they were meant to be. All who die in their sins without faith in Christ Jesus will be cast into the lake of fire, hell, which was created for Satan and the demons, and they will be there for day and night, eternity and eternity. God's wrath will be poured out on them for eternity, the place where weeping and gnashing of teeth. And therefore, I plead with you, if you are in this room or hear my voice today, that if you are far from Jesus Christ, that you would know that you need a Savior and that you would know that you are a sinner and that you would confess your sins to the Lord, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and that he would save you. And so all around the room as we pray and the worship team comes forward, if you're a believer, would you pray for the non-Christians who have heard the gospel? Would you also pray for one another and the marriages in this room, the single people in this room, that we would do as God has commanded us to do and know that it can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we praise you 
and glorify you and give you all the glory due to your name as you created this universe and this earth and a people perfect in your plans. We give you all the praise for that. We acknowledge that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We acknowledge that we need you, Jesus, to save us, that there's salvation in no one else, in nothing else, in none of our works. And so we say, Jesus, for those who are lost, we pray that you would move upon their hearts. Holy Spirit, direct them to call out to you to save them, and may you do a work of salvation today. Father, I pray for the marriages represented in this room. I pray that you would work in the husbands and wives in this room. Father, I pray that you would put upon the husbands to love their wives and to care for them and that women would, the wives would respect their husbands. Father, I pray that as we are in this world today and we are around a distorted um, just creation and as we see people who are suffering because they don't have an identity in you, Father, would you help us speak words of truth, your gospel? Would you give us opportunities father would you the people that we know who are struggling with these issues of gender and and understanding who they are we pray that uh, you would bring us to them to share the gospel that you would restore them and do that through a relationship with Christ father we pray for the baptisms that are going to happen here just within the next hour as we go to the river and we rejoice that you have saved three We give you all the glory for all you have saved. Father, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory as we lift up our voices and declare, Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords.